0: Hello and welcome to the Finding Yeezus After Show. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos. I'm one of the presenters of Finding Yeezus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joined by co-creator for this introduction,
1: Cameron James. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I swear to God, for a second, I thought you were going to say Finding Jesus After Dark.
0: Wow.
1: Like this is the like Big Brother up late or yeah, something.
0: This is the real stuff. And yeah, we're poking our penises out the flies of our pants. Yeah,
1: we're both wearing pajamas. The heads of our little cocks are poking out, and there's lots of people around drinking cocktails and no one is into the vibe.
0: Yeah, but we are having a blast. <laughs> what we're planning to do on this podcast mini series mm. is Kind of go a layer deeper and talk about the making of our brand new video docu-series, Finding Jesus, available on the Grouse House YouTube channel.
1: That's right. And uh, by the way, for the newcomers to this podcast who have just discovered mm-hmm. us through Finding Yeezus, we would like to say welcome. Welcome into
0: our folds. Welcome.
1: We would also like to say uh, we have two previous podcasts. Seasons mm-hmm. that are in this investigative comedy mould.
0: Yes. Finding Drago. Finding Drago, which is the search for an elusive author of a Rocky spin-off novel about Ivan Drago, the villain of Rocky IV, mm-hmm. called Todd Noy. Uh, that is available on a podcast stream that is linked in the show notes for this episode. And, and we did a sequel yes. called Finding Desperado.
1: Yes, we did do a squeakquel called Finding Desperado in which... We unmask, or attempt to unmask at least, uh, a... Elusive. (laughs) It's always an elusive. The word elusive is thrown around a lot, so I'm going to try not to use it. We attempt to unmask someone who we believe is a fraudulent Guinness World Record Mm. holder.
0: Yes, that's a beautiful way to put it without using the word elusive. <laughs> it was really difficult. <laughs> it was tough. I could see you squirming all over that yes. squeak description.
1: So uh, welcome. Please feel free to listen to both of those seasons, six episodes each roughly, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of fun, a lot of goofs, a mm-hmm. lot of spoofs, but also some serious investigative journalism going on
0: and that is a thing that we continue into our new work on this new mystery a brand new mystery it is our first foray in this field in the video form Mm. we are audio boys but we studied video as well at video university and now we have conjoined the two (laughs) to make something that we call film and YouTube-based content.
1: Do you think we're the first people to merge audio and video into something like this?
0: Well, there's actually a great history of people doing that over the last oh. 150 years. I'd say. Okay.
1: All right. Well, close you you know, to. We're we
0: we're, we're in the top 150 years. We're the first <laughs> we're the first Australians <laughs> to do it. <laughs> 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 but this is a brand new mystery finding Jesus. If you've not checked it out, the first episode is out right now. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be doing these after shows. They're gonna come out a day or two after the episode has dropped, so you can find out how we made that episode get little behind-the-scenes peaks. But we are not gonna be hosting this show.
1: No, that is true. We uh, we've enlisted the help of a moderator. Mm-hmm. I think all good after shows have a uh, non-biased,
0: mm-hmm.
1: non-partisan
0: Moderator, I'm yeah. talking a Chris Hardwick type. Oh, we love those Chris Hardwick sites. I'm talking a Rove McManus on Hoovians type.
1: Exactly, and uh, we had the, our
0: pick of the litter. To be honest, of course, you could have picked Rove, Chris Hardwick, anyone <laughs> to host this.
1: <laughs> we chose uh, a man that some of you might know quite well. Some mm-hmm. of you might be hearing for the first time. A man, a good friend of ours.
0: Dear friend, a group chat aficionado. Yes. One of my best friends from like the last five years of my life. Yes, a man by the
1: name of David Alat. For those of you who are familiar with the podcast Finding Drago, you will be very familiar with Mm -hmm. David Alat. For those of you who are not, he is... I mean, listen to the... Listen listen to to Finding Drago, But he is... How would we describe him? He is a... He became an integral person during that first season. Mm. He began... We met him as an expert, yeah, and then he became a suspect. yeah. and then over time, he's become a very good friend.
0: Very close friend. yeah. Um, he's a co-conspirator of ours, I would say. like sure. he's on the same wavelength as us, and uh, he is someone that has felt the sting of our investigation before. Yeah so I think like who's more perfect to talk to us about an investigation than someone that has been under the microscope? That's great, yes. And
1: also, it has to be said as well that he is an expert in virtual reality.
0: And virtual realities is something that we're talking about quite a lot in this series, Yeah, the ideas of new worlds in the digital space. He co-wrote a book with another one of his co-conspirators, Robert Swift about virtual realities and their use in educational formats
1: so I mean this guy's uniquely positioned to host this show for us and ask us questions the questions will not just be his if Mm -hmm. you have questions for us oh yes please feel free to send them to us and we'll get David to you know pick and choose his favourite ones yeah we are on
0: Instagram and Twitter at this is Alexi for me at iron Cameron James for Cameron Uh, you can hit us there if you're a fan of email or Or it's Google counterpart, Gmail. Instead, you can send us an email at findingmysteries3030 at gmail.com. That's findingmysteries3030 at gmail.com.
1: All right. Shall we dive into this episode? Let's
0: do it.
2: Okay, gentlemen. It's great to see you again. I'm so excited to be here. We've been to the top of the mountain together, but now it's time to dive deep together. And we're going to go all the way.
1: (laughs) Wait a second, we're going to go all the way?
2: (laughs) It's the only way we go, all the way.
0: Cameron, pop that wedding ring off, we're going all the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it's nice for me to be on the other side of the fence as the interviewer. I come from a strong heritage of interviewers. I'm from the hometown of Mr. Michael Parkinson, Mm. and I do feel that I could be a a successor to him. Um, I'm an expert and something of a big deal in the virtual reality Mm -hmm. community, as Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and the world of tech is something that is second nature to me. You can't see it from this side of the camera, but I'm surrounded by screens and devices. I'm in a nerve center. I've got a computer, a laptop. So we are digitally equipped and ready to go.
0: You are the human cerebellum at the top of an automated nervous system, it would seem.
2: We are in the nucleus and it feels great. So um, let, me, let, let me start with a few uh, questions for you guys, cinephiles, podcasters, comedians, and now world-renowned investigators. Just tell me about this journey. How does, you know, how does a day look like waking up one morning as just, just your average cinephile um, and then entering this realm of being expert investigators
0: uh, for me finding the finding drago story which is my autobiography that i will write one day my memoirs but when i first stumbled across todd the world of todd noy i had that instinct kick in and it's kind of like that where you feel that pull And uh, it was something that I'd like longed for for a long time. I love documentaries. I studied documentary making, but I thought, oh, I just don't have that bug. I don't have that instinct, which is just finding a story in real life And going, there's something more here. There's something that I need to know. And feeling that there was something inside me as well connected to the story beyond just it's interesting. And it was about trying to find out what it was with me that drew me to the story. And then unraveling it and knowing that there was something deeper within and somewhere to go. And I think that instinct was like super important for me to find because I, you know, I studied documentary in film school. It was something I was really passionate about, but I was worried I didn't have that instinct for finding stories out there in reality. And when I found that story, I was so drawn in and I just knew. And I think each time with us, when we've looked through finding new journeys, finding new investigations to go, each time you just have that feeling of knowing that. There's something here. There's something that is not just a fascinating story out there in the world, but there's also a kind of narrative sense within us that we need to find that story to find some kind Mm -hmm. of peace and semblance within ourselves as well.
1: And uh, I'd like to answer your question with another question and then I'd like to answer that question before you can answer that question. And my question for you is... So do you you follow the logic of what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you a question, and then before you answer it, I answer it.
2: Oh, yes, I understand this. It's a common technique in interviews. Yep, fire away. I'll be ready not to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, And my question for you is,
1: what is a documentary? And um, before you answer that, I'd like to just jump in and say that I think... Everything is a documentary. Real life, uh, stand-up comedy. The Matrix. The Matrix. It's all documentary. Um, And this has always been something that I've wanted to do. You know, you were the kicking-off point for that, and you've led us all the way to Yeezer's.
2: I think it was the plan all along. Um, So um, I'm glad you found him. Um, I know, Cameron, you're you're from... um, from listening to your other podcasts and things i know you're a little bit of a, of a of a of an internet um rabbit miner let's call it um do you think that you know as as a, as a cinephile and a uh, and a web-based research uh do you think that do you think that toolkit um sort of equips you well and and places you somewhat uniquely for your role in uh, having the having the sort of tenacity to, um, to, to to find the answers on these things.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think about this recently. When, when did I first become interested in the bizarre and the world of the conspiracy theory and the urban legend? When did I first start tumbling down the rabbit hole? And my parents reminded me that when I was a child, I subscribed to a magazine called X Factor, which was about paranormal mysteries. Mm. And uh, it was one of those things, remember, through the Scholastic- Yeah, Scholastic
0: Book Club, like a school-serviced subscription and literature program.
1: Yep. So, every month or something, or maybe once a term, Mm. you'd get given a pamphlet of all these books that you could order to read- And there'd be, like, novels in there. Novels,
0: a lot of, like, Babysitter's Club, Berenstain Bears, stuff like that.
1: But there was also this magazine, X Factor, which I guess was riding high off the back of the X-Files.
0: Oh, it's a very similar
1: title. (laughs) You can see what they've done there. And um, it would be, you know, issue one would be the Roswell incident. And then issue two would be bigfoot and cryptids mm. issue three would be the Loch Ness monster and wow. sea creatures and uh I was obsessed with it and I would I was convinced that I would be a person who made contact with aliens and You'd with guy with monsters <laughs> and
0: stuff we got the new Richard
1: just <laughs> hot on the trail and so it's just always been something I've been fascinated with so Yes, long story short, I am a, an obsessive mm. person. Yes. But I think you're, Alexi, you're an obsessive yeah, person absolutely. too. You have like 2,000 Yeah, Blu-rays. I'm a bowel bird, dude. Like, <laughs> I
0: just collect things and, like, we both live very obsessive yeah. lives. Yeah. But I think the big part of obsession for both of us mm. is, like, the, the idea of it connects. Yeah, know?
1: yeah, yeah. We're both story guys mm-hmm. at the end of the day. We love storytelling. We love connecting with people. Mm-hmm. If there's someone whose story we get intrigued by, it's not just a matter of we want to tell it. It's like we want to express their yes. inner
0: feelings. You know, we want to like- Honour and cherish. Cherish is a word we use a lot, but yes, we cherish, cherish these people.
1: We cherish them. We, we, lo- we start to love them. We mm. start to become really good friends with them. And we want to like accurately portray the way that they feel or the myths that they're kind yeah. of putting out there into the world. So whenever we're exploring one of these mysteries like this show, it's uh, it's a highly empathetic experience. Mm, it's not yeah. just, um, hey, let's go door doorstop some people and uh, interview a bunch of interesting yeah kooks out there in the world. It's it's more than
0: that. It I becomes, mean, we are the kooks.
1: We're the kooks.
0: Yeah, we are. But it, it, I like the idea of that empathy. That's so true for how we look at these things because. You know, part of, like, my training as a documentarian is, like, that idea of you believe what the people tell you mm. until you don't. And I think mm. that's such a big part of, like, these being uh interpretations of true crime stories, but no one's committed a crime. So, yeah. we're just like, yeah, let them talk about whatever they want to talk about, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we're both generally, uh, quite genuinely mm. inquisitive and curious people. Yeah. and. We enjoy hearing people talk. We like hearing what's going on inside their brains. And we want to hear more. We always want to learn more. And perhaps even the more innocuous and, like, less integral to the world, the better. You know, I love it when, uh, like, sitting with Ben, the VR dude, when he started Mm. telling me uh, all about his theories on... Um, how, like, VR is going to evolve to, like, be essentially a death
0: duel and guide people into an afterlife. Wow.
1: I was fascinated. I didn't know who was going to talk about that, but I loved every second of it.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. That's that's how I hope
2: I go out.
1: Yes, in a video game. Yeah. I want to go out and crash Bandicoot.
2: I love it. The the common scab analogy with the... Cameron being the picker that will delve deep into the wound, sometimes even mm. finding himself in quite dangerous and quite sore mm. places, whereas Alexei, you're more interested in the, in the original source of the wound. Yes. yes. Um, exactly. Thanks for, thanks for clearing exactly. that. He so you just compared us to a scab. That's, just, um, that's great. <laughs> well, you know, the medical world is full of experts. Um I think you've got a, it's such a an exciting mystery here, and it feels so multi layered and and, and and quite fr- frightening but before I dive into the detail of that mystery, I just want to get a sense of your your actual rig what's your setup in terms of your investigatory tools team you know how how do how does this work i, I have you just been given a um you know, have you just identified a problem to solve and been told by a production agency, solve this? Or have they? Have
0: they given you some rig? Uh, that's a pretty interesting question because we, for the most part, we are two team rig, two oh sorry, two person team, mm. um, and we both have beautiful rigs in that yeah. team. But uh, the investigation always begins with just the two of us, really, mm. and we'll be on the search for our story. And usually, each time. We, apart from the first Finding Drago, which was something that I just found out there in the world, um, we are, since then, we've been on the hunt for new stories. And I think each time, we don't really know what we're going to end up with. We don't know what the mystery will be, but uh, we're on the hunt for stories. And I think each time we've gone, on, oh, maybe it'll be a series where each episode's a different little mystery and we just find like a bunch of stories. But then Desperado and Jesus there's always just one story that floats to the top where we're like, there's something really big here, something really deep here that we feel that pull with. And from then, we, it's the two of us for ages. We investigate lightly around, trying to figure out what there even is, like what the scope of the story is. And then once we know that there's something, that's when we go, all right, let's collect a crack team of experts to join us.
1: Yeah. This is the first time we've had a huge team and by huge we mean four people <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to our usual two with an additional third yeah um, this time we've had we had uh, some extra people helping us out two extra people which was mm-hmm. really nice um, and you know at the end of the day the team, very small team, but very dedicated team.
0: And big, beautiful, juicy brains on yes. every member big of this team. big old
1: brains, beautiful bods.
0: Yes, heaving brains, <laughs> hefty bods.
1: And we really do believe that we, the work that we've done is worthy of uh, all the serious journalistic prizes mm. that are out there from the yes. Pulitzer... To the Nobel,
0: to, to the local Walkley, the Walkley prizes. We do want a Walkley with this,
1: because we've done genuine investigative journalism. It's we not, have. It's not, yeah, it's not a flimflam show, you know. Yes, it's not-
0: the famous <laughs> flimflam show. We're not part of that. <laughs> We're not even part of that. We're doing real work out here. Exactly, and we have, we are real <laughs> dropout journalists. We mm. both have dropped out of two separate journalism degrees. Each, I did drop out of journalism twice. Mm. I've done it. I've dropped out of it twice. <laughs> so the, the I am a real journalist, okay?
2: Uh, absolutely, and it will be proven by all of these awards that come. And with um, Weinstein and Epstein gone, this is probably the last biggest mystery <laughs> <to> remaining. Um, <laughs> um, with 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 finding Drago, it was quite quite unique in that it was a mystery that had previously been u- untapped hmm Um in that to, to my knowledge, you were you were the only guys out there on the road trying to trying to um, yeah. trying to solve it. Yeah. Can you quest 3030? It's not something I'd heard about before. Um so this is my first exposure to it. But using a using a little old friend called Google, I've realised mm. that this has got quite a bit of status out there in the World Wide Web and, and many a travellers come across it, sought to comment on it, sought to un, un- uncrack um um what challenges does that present to you and um what does success look like to you so that you can crush those other fools that have failed to pull unravel the
1: mystery <laughs> hey first of all i just want to say there's no fools that have had a crack at this there's been a lot of great <laughs> youtube broadcasters a lot of great um researchers and great
0: reddit sleuths sleuths Mm. have
1: come before us you're right though this is the first time that we've attempted a mystery that other people have had a solid crack at and some people have purported to have solved it already um and that was its own challenge yes but but we felt uniquely placed because the big urban legend surrounding this game you know, that it's created by a cult as a recruitment tool has ties to Australia. Mm. One of the big rumours was that this was an Australian cult or at the very least an Australian cult leader who Mm -hmm. developed the game. And as far as we're aware, all the YouTubers that have had a go have been based in the States or the UK. And we figured we're here, we're on the continent,
0: you know? We could do some physical groundwork if need be.
1: We're down here, we're girt by sea. We could have a go. Mm -hmm. We could get closer than they could. And it's no dig at them, it's no slight towards them. It's just we're here on the ground, we may as well go deeper.
0: And I think that was, like, the big scary challenge for us as well was knowing that other people had gone in but not solved it, uh that was the big challenge just going like are we actually really good at solving mysteries hmm. or are we actually really good at only solving two mysteries that we happened to come across the internet that no one has attempted to solve before uh so i think that was something that kind of I mean, it stressed us the frick out, like the mm. whole way through. Mm. Um, especially when we were building a case off a couple of clues that people had already come across on the internet as like our groundwork, as our foundation. And I think those, at certain points, were like, "Are these even real clues? Or are we just following a red herring here the whole time?" And I think that was like the real stresses of it was what if we um, are suck at solving s- mysteries.
1: I never doubted us. I never doubted
0: us. <laughs> I go through it. I go through the doubt, you know, but th- I'll admit to that. I'll admit to that I'm not perfect. I doubt myself sometimes.
1: I, I'm also not perfect, but I'm also... Um,
0: You're confident. Cocky. Yes. You're cocky <laughs> headstrong. <laughs> cocky, cocky asshole. Yeah. I'm
1: a cocky little asshole. And I was convinced that we were going to be the ones to solve this case.
2: You know, I'm getting a lovely blend of vulnerability and pizzazz, and I think that's a lovely cocktail that will mm. serve you well in this mystery. Mm. Um, I'm hearing that, you know, we are standing upon the so- soldiers of giants whilst also standing on location in Australia, uniquely positioned to fully uh, tackle this mystery head-on. Suspect number one, Mr West, mm-hmm. Kanye West. I mean, what do you reckon? Um this is this is a man that, like Bono, has created an MP3 player of, of mm-hmm. sorts. Bono's been the, the classic red and black one that I still have to this day to play <laughs> my favorite U two hits. Um, you know, he's created footwear brands. Mm-hmm. This this is this this is a guy that has led me to question the nature of reality because he's certainly a guy that suggests if you can dream it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so is it really um, that far-fetched to suggest that this is the work of Kanye himself programming a way in in one of his houses?
0: Well, I think that's why he was one of our suspects because part of that story does track and part of it is, you know, uh, he's a very big popular artist. There's a lot of mystery and mystique around him though mm. and, you know, that kind of narrative does happen. People do start... Uh, you know How do, how else does religion start Apart from someone really cool and popular Like your Jesus Like your Jesus, And then mm-hmm. people building into the narrative around them
1: And also uh, a friend of ours Comedian Aaron Chen Pointed out to us that He uh, Kanye has dabbled in the gaming mm. space In the past He was developing a game based on his late mother Donda Mm-hmm And I believe the premise of the game was that you play as Donda uh, after she's passed away.
0: And it is her journey to heaven as an angel. Mm. So it's a very moving testament of a game. And it does have like that religious aspect. And if we have to use a certain word, Mm. ascending to heaven, ascending to the final realm. Mm. Uh, To me, there are some parallels between this game and the ideas of like a religious game, like Kanye Quest's hidden level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this, this the, an interesting thing that I, you know, the more you think about it with a com- with computer games, um, and this 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 idea of sort of leveling up towards a. Pat- towards a particular point. and And then, you know, Scientology and things like that, it's all about levelling up. I think Buddhism's all about levelling up. I know some of those Christians that get to wear the big pointy hats, they're like the top level. Yeah. Um, so every religion has essentially got a level system that is probably most comparable to a computer game. Mm-hmm. Power-ups, extra lives, um, you know, Jesus being the first um, Renaissance artist. Um, so... Um, um, <laughs> uh, followed by Bono then followed by Yeah, Mando.
0: yeah, yeah Of, course. of <laughs> and, course It's weird There's a long break But then there's Quick succession Between Bono And then Kanye Remember,
1: remember Bono's oh, got, Co-exist Yeah,
2: of course remember?
1: Co-exists
2: <laughs> I mean, Bono is, Bono is a I've said Bono More times than I Expected mm. Yeah um, Me too In my life, oh, I mean Bono is a <laughs> Something of a, of a, you know, like back, back it, back around this time, he would have been something of a re- religious, uh, <laughs> a prophet, <laughs> uh,
1: the, the Irish prophet. Mm. I love
2: it. <laughs> First thing I spotted in the episode that just creeped me out a little bit and got my pulse racing was this passing reference to something called Lavender Town syndrome. Mm. Yeah.
0: What What is it? Oh, it's this weird mystery out there in the world of video games as well. I think it's been debunked these days. But uh, in the video game Pokemon, the original Pokemon Game Boy cartridge games of Red and Blue, there's this place called Lavender Town, which is this haunted place where all the ghost-type Pokemon are. And that has really creepy music, really like odd, creepy music. And because it's kind of in that 8-bit style of video game soundtrack of that era, it just sounds even stranger. Like it's just coming from this void almost. And because of that, I think it sparked a lot of imagination uh, in people that... Uh, there was this rumor or story that people, uh, children had been uh, driven to suicide mm. because of the haunted music um, mm. and that the music was actually haunted and actually coming from this void. Uh, but, you know, that's been debunked, Yeah, but it's still a fascinating story. And I think video games are a ripe ground for these kind of mysteries because yeah. I think people that play video games, they have very curious minds and I think they're very narrative-driven people uh, and I think it kind of drives these stories to grow and these mysteries to develop and grow. Uh, but They're also very imaginative people. And I think that, you know, there are people out there that just invent these interesting stories. Uh, And that was one that, you know, it's quite fascinating because it just, it's a big game. It feels interesting. And it just feels creepy as hell and supernatural.
1: There's a lot of uh, video game urban legends that exist. I think we mentioned two in the intro to this episode, the Polybius Mm -hmm. Effect, which was, uh, the story of an arcade game that was allegedly created by CIA operatives to brainwash children, Mm Lavender Town, which Alexi just mentioned. There's also the, um, the ongoing urban legend of, uh, the Mm E.T. Atari Graveyard. Yeah. Allegedly a a terrible video game based on the film property E.T. Um, the game was so shit that Atari buried thousands of copies mm. of this video game they in the made, desert
0: in California. They made so many cartridges assuming that it's going to be a huge hit yeah. because it landed with a thud. It stank. They were just left with all this physical media that this had no way to get rid of it but to bury it in the ground.
1: And so that was a long-running legend that everyone said, you know, they buried, like, thousands mm. of copies of this. And then about five years ago, it was proven true. Yeah, Some people were just digging in the desert and found a bunch of old... Shitty ET, okay, oh sorry, Atari games. Um, so there's a fun combination, I think, of the mythical and the reality mm. that comes along in these video game urban legends. And that's I guess that's what led us to this one, which is which side is it gonna fall on? Is it the myth or is it real? Wow.
2: Let's dive into the episode then. We begin with Alexi's very own VR experience. Alexi enter- enters the matrix. <laughs> Mm. Uh, was this your first time in a, in a virtual reality world?
0: I'd done it once before, I think. Oh, maybe twice. Because our friend Henry has a, a VR for his PlayStation. Mm. Um, but I've done it once or twice. I think you'd even seen me do it once before. Yep. Yep. And that's why you decided to start the episode with that.
1: Yeah, a friend of ours had a VR set up in his warehouse. Mm. And we all tried it one afternoon. And I distinctly remember watching Alexi Freak out.
0: Mm, it just really kicked my vertigo off straight away. As soon as I put the helmet on, I just started <laughs> wobbling and getting, like, genuinely scared. Uh, so it had been, like, what, five or six years since that incident. Probably. So it had been and a I while. Thought,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was my <laughs> idea to start... <laughs> Just <laughs> start me to on start the edge. that and I just thought this is a little
0: Machiavellian of me, but I want <laughs> Alexi
1: to freak out again.
0: And I, it was weird being in the VR headset for that day of filming because I was in there for ages. Because mm. we, were, you know, it yeah. only amounts to like <laughs> ten seconds to a minute of footage, but basically everything that we film, it's like <laughs> half a freaking day that we have to do. And so I was in this VR headset for probably an hour at a time, maybe three hours max with like little breaks. And there was a certain point where my body and brain separated, where once I took the helmet off, I felt that I was like seeing three foot like higher than I was normally. Like I felt that my eye, my vision had separated from where my brain was in a weird way. And like when I would move my hand, I was like, is that my (laughs) my real hand? It was very embarrassing to tell people Like, oh, I feel a bit strange And even the VR guy that we're with Was like, that's weird That doesn't normally happen
1: Yeah, well, while you were in the game Playing, I was conducting An hour-long interview (laughs) with the VR guy And he was talking at length Mm -hmm. About the dangers of spending a long time In the game (laughs) We were talking for about an hour And he was saying, yeah, you shouldn't be in there For more than 12 minutes (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and as he was distracted, didn't look after me, and I was just in there for a really long time. And just like made me wobbly for probably four hours afterwards. <laughs> Sorry, man.
2: Very, very dangerous. Uh, I mean, when Swift and I were testing VR, we did, did a lot of research on it on it first, and it's a lesser known thing, mm-hmm. but. For every sixty seconds spent in VR, that's seventy seconds in the outside world, <laughs> which you would barely notice it. Yeah. In, you know, in normal life, if you're just going in for a passing visit, mm-hmm. uh, but that extended period, you know, it might take quite a while to get back in sync. Exactly.
0: When I took that helmet off, there was a patch of grey hair on my beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: um, but um, I, I mean, this has got to be. Uh, you know the, the the future of the future of gaming is you know going into, you know going into Kanye you West forty forty for example mm-hmm. we not be we'd be we're going to be playing this show in VR which is it's super exciting especially when you think about modern modern games and how close to reality they. are. Mm-hmm. Next up in the episode, then we get this exciting, thrilling, action-packed opening sequence inspired by. Um, a couple of really important sci-fi movies from 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 the late '90s. Uh, mm. First, I was getting hints of Bicentennial Man, Robin Williams's lovely, heartwarming proposal. You know, the humanoid. Mm-hmm. But probably probably stronger on the palette, The Matrix. Yes. Tell me about mm. this film and its influence in the in the. In the show,
1: <laughs> Alexi and I have talked at length
0: about the Matrix. Yeah, it's a very uh, special movie. Yeah,
2: it's, it's a key
1: movie.
0: part of our friendship, key text for both of us as individuals walking this planet.
1: And I think that there's a delicate balancing act that the that the Matrix occupies in our mind, mm. where it's it's on one hand, we think it's the coolest movie.
0: Of all time. I think it's one of the best movies of all time. My love for it is sincere. But the way that I need to show that love (laughs) needs to be ironic.
1: Yeah, because on the (laughs) other side,
0: we also think it's very funny to think
1: that The Matrix is the coolest (laughs) movie of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because it's... um, goofy, and because it's from
0: 1999. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's from that millennium mindfuck era of filmmaking, which is something that we both feel that push and pull from quite Mm. a lot. We've talked about it a lot on our podcast Total Reboot, but it's something that's always in mind, and I think for me, going into these mysteries and telling stories this way, Uh, I'm an aesthetician, if you will. I I don't know the word for it. That's a
1: great new word you invented there.
0: Yes, I made it up on the fly. But (laughs) I'm into aesthetic and I'm into how to bring a story, especially the way we tell stories that are kind of pop culture based mysteries. Mm -hmm. How do we bring that narrative to life in the mind's eye or in the... Uh, nostalgia of the audience. Like, how do we mm. get them to connect the dots between the uh, be- between what we're presenting and the ideas behind it? Sure. And immediately, when we found the Kanye Quest 3030 story, I was like, this is a freaking Matrix, if I've ever heard it. It's mm. about religion, spirituality, identity, and how those come together under this new tech transhumanist wave. I'm like, this is freaking the Matrix, absolutely.
1: I'll give you full credit for being... Uh the person who i would say i mean we were all we were both very invested mm. in this story and we we're kind of intrigued but as soon as you said fuck this is like the matrix mm. if we got to make this we should make it look and sound like the matrix mm. movies that was a moment where i was like okay <laughs> Hold the freaking phone. Yeah. This has got to be the one that we make. Hold
0: the phone and get freaking sucked into it because you're getting jacked out of the Matrix. <laughs>
1: it's very. Ex- it was a very exciting moment for me to go, yeah. oh my God, we might get to make our own Matrix.
0: Yeah, that was a big deal for us was like, how do we tell this story visually and kind of graduating it from the audio format of the podcast where we have great actors come in. And do recreations of boring text messages and emails that we have with our investigative uh, counterparts or whatever people across the internet. And we always did those in a style, you know. Finding Drago takes a lot from Rocky, takes a lot from '80s movies and that kind of like emotional aesthetic of Sylvester Stallone. Then finding Desperado takes a lot from. Talented Mr. Ripley, Mm, Silence of the Lambs, Lambs, Euro-thrillers. And then this, we're just like, okay, we have to take the way that we do that on a podcast audio format and visualize it. Let's make it look as close to the Matrix as possible. Yes,
1: digital cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we gave that brief to our art team.
0: And our director, Max Miller, as well.
1: Everyone was, like, pumped. Everyone, it awakens the, like, inner child of mm. everybody who just understands, oh my God, we get to play in the Matrix sandbox a little yeah. bit, build sets that look like the Matrix, source costumes mm. that are like the leather. Find the frickin' sunglasses. That was the
0: first thing we spent money on. David was we bought uh, all the Matrix sunglasses, like the actual replicas of what everyone wears, so we would have accurate sunglasses. Then we just mixed and matched when we got them, so they look weird and cool and suit everyone's heads. Yeah, but that was an exciting moment for me. Was like getting those very very cool. Um, but then the the deeper
1: we got into it, because you're going to notice when uh, as this series progresses that there's more and more of a Matrix aesthetic throughout it began to become bigger than just a visual joke for us. It began to become... like we started to embrace the philosophies yeah. of it all. And we started getting kind of spiritual and maybe even a little bit moved by the matrix mm. philosophies. And
0: I think that was the vibe that even people we just interviewed and talked to, they are all on that same wavelength. Like uh-huh. whenever you start talking about the ideas that we're talking about here, it comes up in almost every interview, whether it made the cut or not. Mm. I think everyone that you see on screen said the words matrix at some
1: point. It's really weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like there was something out there in the cosmos while we were making this.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And and it was green curves. It was green rain, a digital rain. Cam, I'll say one more thing mm. about that aesthetic with the Matrix. Max's idea to have these kind of giant LCD screens yes. that have an interpretation of some Matrix sets on them that Alex Gabba, our great editor, and uh, did a lot of designers for uh, digital design for us as well, mm-hmm. uh, he made these backgrounds for them. To have those as these kind of. Uh, this artifice where mm. you knew that it was fake. We're not trying to make it seem real, but it's like a way to bring the matrix into the actual practical set that people are in. That was to me a genius move, to not try to make it look like they are on a recreation of those sets. Just have this like very clear screen up mm. that just shows a version of that. That was one of my things. I was like, yeah, Max is so freaking smart. <laughs> He's so <laughs> smart.
1: Shout out to Max on this pod. And I'll tell you a little uh, little secret fact about that opening sequence. So we shot the opening titles for this show on this the, the uh, what would you call it? it's called the Matrix rig mm, it's and a it's, bullet it's time that rig. bullet time rig from the Matrix where they shoot uh, Neo like leaning backwards and dodging bullets mm-hmm. and um, Carrie Ann Moss doing the cool jump thing. We got access to one of those bullet time rigs. Uh, We'll put this on the record because these are wonderful people, the people that supplied it for us. Normally, they would charge in the realm of $60,000 to hire one of these Mm -hmm. rigs, but because this was an Auntie Donna production and they were fans of Auntie Donna... We got it for I don't even know if I should say how much 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 less. much like chump change yeah
0: I, like you know it, it was it, it became possible it was basically otherwise it would cost almost the entirety of our budget yeah. to use this yeah uh, but what it is it's just like a row of cameras in like a semicircle mm. uh, that uh, take like one shot in succession of each other yeah so that way your movements are captured with the I. With a camera moving, just as it did here in real life. Um, Let me fix that. Yeah,
1: it's like a bunch of uh, stills, essentially. I mean, anyone who's watched the the behind-the-scenes of the Matrix movies, like we have a million times, will know how they make those shots. And it's a series of stills, a series of frames. Um, But yeah, we we got it for cheap. Normally, it's the kind of thing that would cost you a freaking arm and a leg it barely Mm -hmm. cost us one pinky finger it
0: was nothing nothing one knock of a pinky no problem
2: no problem i mean it's beautiful to see and i think the matrix so specific in its colors and and and, and vibe it just jumped straight out of the the scene i'm taking i remember seeing the matrix for the first time and you know I've, i've it gave me seeing this gave me very similar feelings of wow. wow <laughs> Thank you, the, that,
0: the highest compliment
2: machine. of
0: all.
1: It adds production value mm. for sure. Like as soon as we shot those what we knew were only gonna amount to twenty seconds of screen time, we thought, Well look at that. Now it looks like this cost us millions of dollars. Mm.
2: A- absolutely. Well kudos to the to the to the boys for mm. making this connection. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you how do you know the how do you know the Antidona crew. Oh,
0: I don't even know how we would have met them originally. Just comedy is a very small scene, yeah, especially in Australia.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's if you're, you know, a comedy maker or comedian or whatever, like we are, you you end up knowing each other. It's a small scene,
0: small circles. Um, and the you know, comparatively to the UK and America. This smaller amount of content comes out, so you kind of become fans of each other very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they really liked Drago and Desperado. We've liked their sketches for a long time. Um, I've seen them live a, a million times, no, of course, yeah. you know. Um, uh, yeah all that kind of stuff also it must be said that i have the same agent as auntie don <laughs> so, yeah so it's very small scene <laughs> very very small perfect. scene perfect
2: and uh, great performances from 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 the fellas there mm-hmm. as well mm. um so we touch. We, so we joined in your uh, we joined in the episode in your sort of nerve center in your own office which mm. is a beautiful office Lovely, lovely lighting and colours. I imagine it's a haven of thought and productivity. <laughs> absolutely, a lot <laughs> that, of typing and tapping away on the laptops is there.
1: Is that a real office or is it a, oh, a fake office? Uh, uh, it's weird because it became a real office. It it started life as a set. Mm-hmm. um We wanted to have a you know a, a cool looking office rather than. The reality, which is most of the time us just working on one of our lounges or whatever. Um, And then over the course of the production and the investigation, we were just always in there. So it it became and it began to smell like Mm -hmm. a real office that... two sleepless boys would um, (laughs) be spending hours in every day.
0: Yeah, because it was beautifully designed. We had a great production designer, Mm. so it looked fantastic. And then the lighting looked freaking insane and lit everything up so beautifully. But also, we had like our own trinkets in there because we drove down to Melbourne for this production Mm. uh, with a giant four-wheel drive packed full of... Trinkets from previous investigations. Our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron brought the biggest post you've ever seen mm-hmm. of a Sydney Ling production, a Sydney Ling starring vi- vehicle, yep. Aloeste del Rio Grande. Yep, and that we had to we had to take that giant frame down.
1: Also, we uh, we mounted. Uh, yeah, we so we mounted that, and we also brought a big stack of Todd Noy books that are in mm-hmm. the back of pretty much every shot. Yep. So there's a lot of Noy. There's a lot of Noi, there's a lot of Ling, and there's a lot of love in that room.
2: A lot, whole lot of love. Triple threat, and you may be comforted to know that I've got, I'm have i also surrounded by stacks of Noi books. Mm. Stacks of Noi books here, and also just the spirit of Ling and his music. I hear it every time I listen out of the window. I hear him playing the most soulful, wow. erotic guitar. <laughs>
0: That's beautiful. Um, <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs>
2: Uh, We meet a number of experts along the way, Mm. and uh, I have to say I was very impressed by our contacts in diving into the real realms of science. Mm. Uh, Peter, is it pronounced uh, Peter Zing of of, of Transhumanism Australia? Mm -hmm. This
0: is so interesting because, you know, Peter Zing is a transhumanist expert Mm -hmm. that we see on screen for maybe 14 seconds. Mm -hmm. We had to, we spent like three hours with the guy hanging out. He -hmm. was like our first interview he was our first
1: officially the first interview that we committed uh, on this show a first day of shooting and um as alexi said we spent hours with the guy for what amounts to less than 20 seconds of screen time but he was integral we wanted Mm -hmm. to establish authenticity in this first episode that yes we are talking to legitimate scientists researchers academics experts and uh a little behind the scenes on that brief interview with peter we will tell you officially That his favourite movie of all time Is the movie Rampage Starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson And we talked to him about it (laughs) For about an hour.
0: Yeah, he brought it, us, brought it up to us separately as an example of transhumanism. And then on <laughs> camera as well, we're like, oh, I don't know if people remember the movie Rampage based on the video game starring Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> enough to leave it as a reference to, wow. as like a shorthand <laughs> for what transhumanism is.
1: And I don't know if you've seen Rampage, David, but not many have. It's, it was one of those blockbusters mm. that I think was... Maybe big internationally, but probably did fuck all business.
0: Yeah, we saw it. Cameron <laughs> yeah. and I saw it together, I believe, for a podcast. Yeah, we saw it. And um, we yeah, loved it. We loved it. It's pretty fun. <laughs> it's a pretty fun movie. It's about CRISPR wow.
1: gene editing, It's uh, which is transhumanism, mm. basically. It's about, you know, the idea of going into people's DNA and editing their DNA code to make them stronger, bigger, faster, whatever. Yeah. And, um, that's one of the key tenets of transhumanism today, which is fighting biology, fighting Mm. mortality through things like gene editing or, uh, prosthesis. Yeah. Uh, even diabetes
0: did? control and yeah. stuff. Like it, he was a fascinating person to talk to because I think like we, when we think about transhumanism, a lot of the time it is that those matrixy ideas of the singularity and stuff that feels like science fiction in the far mm, future. Living in the cloud and whatnot. Peter was like integral for us to understand like what is transhumanism as it is right now in the world. Mm. And he was a really fascinating guy. And there's so much stuff that like, if this was a podcast or a more longer form thing, you mm. know, That would have been like a 20-minute interview or something. Like it would have taken up a big chunk because of like so much of what he said was so interesting and so fascinating. He was just like a really like humble and interesting guy. How he talked about how he first came across transhumans as well was Mm. because uh he became interested in it because he had like a near-death experience.
1: With the grim reaper. Yeah,
0: and it was just really moving. So I I loved talking to him. I'm so glad that he is part of the show. Yeah, me too.
2: It was a lovely touch it's great to see him on there and um as, as you say such an in, it's such a thought provoking thing in it, in it, in its own right mm. you know this idea that medicine is almost been about fighting the tide that's yeah. coming whereas transhumanism about evolving ascending beyond that becoming stronger through technology uh, as you say, CRISPR editing, yeah. enzyme boosting technology, mm. and the like—the mm-hmm. uh, the sort of stuff that the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, probably uses to prepare for his movies. <laughs> well, probably, um, yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm not in any way surprised that, that Peter's favourite mm-hmm. movie is one starring the Rock. <laughs> a great example <laughs> of, uh, of, a, of an advanced form.
0: Um, I would say another thing about that, because it was our first interview of the whole series, we noticed something very quickly that people that we talk to immediately want to get in on the joke with us. Mm. And I think that's like an interesting thing that we weren't as conscious of until we made it this time, that people just want to have fun with this kind of stuff. And as soon as we open the doors that hey, we're going to be a little bit silly, a little bit silly with everything. They immediately want to join us on that. And Peter was so game with that as well. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. I don't know what it is. You you kind of look at these sorts of shows that have come before us, you know, Louis Theroux on Safran, even some of the Nathan Fielder stuff, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen as well. And uh, the, often the people that are being interviewed are – so straight and so serious Mm. and they never crack a smile or break but every single person we talk to starts goofing off and joking around they become a comedian straight away (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what that's about like we can't get a single serious person on this show
2: i think it's just the gallows humor you face some of the biggest most challenging subjects out there and the only way to The only way to take the edge off is Hmm. by throwing that humor in. Very true. We also meet in the episode, Ben, uh, Ben Loveridge Mm -hmm. uh, from Immersive Media, augmented reality and VR expert himself. Yep. Much like you. uh, Absolutely. I mean, I've been familiar with Ben and his work for a while. Well, should I say he's been familiar with mine for a long time <laughs> through the VR Oki Learning Enterprise? That Swift and I uh, uh, brought into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, very nice sweater was my immediate observation. I have to question: is it is it functional? Is it or is he a cyborg or is it a, a, a standard cotton garment?
1: <laughs> I get the imp- I sat quite close to him mm-hmm. for most of that shoot, and I get the impression that we're dealing with a uh, cotton blend. Mm. I think there's a little bit of polyester in there. I wouldn't Mm. dare to bring it up to him just in case, but I feel like we're dealing with a blended fabric, um, which is in theme with this show. Of course.
0: (laughs) We blend the synthetic with the organic.
2: (laughs) That's a great
1: question, but thank you for asking that. I
2: I had to ask. I've seen a lot of synthetic sweaters out there Mm. and it just, it excited me and um, it carried a message. This feels like it could could well be made up, uh, mm. but I'm sure your sources <laughs> are correct. But having having completed the Noi mystery and and you know essentially finding out that a that, that a book um, that, that that had a place in the world and finding out that that was located on your home soil in Australia, mm. um, and now to find out that. Um, this game is of Australian origin through through Phoenix. Um, is 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 insane in the first instance? Is this? I, I mean, how did this even? How did it feel to un, to to unravel this one when it dropped? And, and, and remind me, how did that actually drop? Where you landed upon Ballarat?
1: <clears throat> well, that belongs to that little bit of unearthing belongs to the uh, Rogues Gallery of internet sleuths that have come before us a lot of redditors and uh a couple of other like 4chan dare mm-hmm. we say its name there we mentioned there we mentioned its name uh sleuths have kind of done their own individual mm. independent research the good kind and uh they've uncovered that there was this ballarat australia connection to phoenix and I mean, we're still not sure whether that's true or not. We're only on episode one at mm. this point, but we are at least aware that it's driving distance from us, so we do have access. Mm-hmm. Um I-, I will I'll tell you this. We weren't certain that we were going to commit to this mystery full time mm-hmm. until we made the connection that Mark Bonanno
0: from Auntie Donna
1: was Facebook friends with Nick Lyons.
0: Yeah, with the primary suspect Nick Lyons. That was that was it. When we we were looking for different stories, we'd both found probably I guess 3 or 4 each that we were mm. thinking about. But then when Cameron found that mutual mm. friendship with Mark, mm. and we were just kind of like that is such an interesting wriggle it just became obsessive to us that that had to be part of the mystery and why we have to solve this one we've got this connection well it just instantly made me laugh i just thought that
1: is what are the odds that so someone that i know Mm -hmm. probably knows this cult leader and then that's when we approached auntie donna with this project and Mm -hmm. said would you guys like to be a part of (laughs) it and then it ended up being that they produced the whole thing uh, rather than just being in it um, they helped us get it made and they helped us get funding for it. And, you know, they're they're the producers on this show. Exactly. All for that reason. All because we discovered that connection.
0: And it was also their director. Um, uh, uh, their director, um, he Max Miller. That's he no. is our director as well on this. So it's like very much like a collaborative thing that was uh, because of one little divine coincidence that brought us together. <laughs> and I would say, like in the story building of this show, that for so long felt like that would be a kind of climactic point. That mm. would be later on. But then as the journey developed, as the investigation developed, we had like a eureka moment. We were just like, actually, I think that's episode one. I don't think yeah. that's like, we, 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 when we're planning these things out, we have like a rough map of where we think the journey will take us. And that was always like near the end game, you know, like a great end revelation of some kind.
1: Yeah, but then, of course, we keep digging and we find more things that we want to put into it. And also, I think it would be a bit insane if we waited five episodes mm. and said, hey, by the way, one of the producers on this <laughs> show yeah. used to work with our main suspect. <laughs> so we kind of thought it would be a smart move
2: to just mm. get it out of the way. Chuck right it at the front, yeah. have
0: us as a top-end cliffhanger. Mm.
2: I mean, you know, li- listening to some of you know Nick's music ascension jism from his seminal album Mm um it feels it feels very anti dona the sort of it feels in that sort of world so that brings us to the end of episode one what a cliffhanger (laughs) can you give us any clues about what's up to come in episode two i'll say this
1: at the end of episode one nick lyons is our key suspect that we put up on the cork board Throughout the series, there might be a few more faces that appear on that cork board as well, but Nick Lyons from Ballarat, his face will remain on the cork board. Mm.
0: We put a pin right in him, mm. and he is like our first link through the story, you know? Mm.
1: Yeah. So, you, you know, it's safe to say you haven't seen the last of Ballarat Nick Lyons.
2: Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me on this public inquiry. Um... I know I've um, asked some challenging questions there. Mm. Mm. Take some time, relax, we'll come back to fresh. and um, for the viewers listening at home, don't worry, we're just getting started, baby.: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, that was our first after show, our first after dark, if you will. things mm-hmm. got a little steamy in that podcast. Uh, the next episode of Funny is will come out on Monday. Mm-hmm. Whatever seven days is from the last one. It's like the ring.
1: Seven Mm -hmm. days after you listen to this. Yeah,
0: something's coming for you. And it's another ep of a beautiful YouTube (laughs) series. So make sure you subscribe to the Grasshous'e YouTube channel. The links to that are in the show notes if you want to click straight on over. Like, subscribe, hit that bell, whatever the YouTube guys say. You listen to that, okay? <laughs> if you want to send us any questions, you can do it on socials mm. at this is Alexi or at I Am Cameron James across mm-hmm. Instagram and Twitter. Uh, or you can send it to an email address, and that is a gmail.com address, finding mysteries3030 at gmail.com.
1: And I just want to say very sincerely, thank you so much mm. for watching and engaging and listening. It means so much to us. This has been a long journey yeah. getting this show made. It's been over two years yeah. getting this thing up. and Or so, well, longer than
0: that, if you yeah. think about how far we've come from thinking about doing stories like this, mm. eventually hoping to get to do it in video format as well. God, yeah, you're right. And, you know, there's still more to go. We're trying to make it into a feature-length series of films set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> where we play little boy detective solving... <laughs> <That's>
1: a- <laughs> That's our goal is to kind of establish our Mm. own brand and aesthetic Mm -hmm. uh, style and joy and then immediately get absorbed into Disney.
0: (laughs) Into a conglomerate.
1: Yeah, if we could get absorbed by Disney, that would mean so
0: much to us. And that's where we hope the journey ends for us. (laughs) We don't want to move further than that. We just want to join the machine. Work there forever. Work that's it. there,
1: get a couple of really bad reviews, and then disappear. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it, <laughs> into obscurity. But if you can help us get there, guys, thank you so much. Actually, but sincerely, like Cameron says, thank yeah. you so much for joining us on this journey.
1: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time, and uh, just the fact that anyone's watching and listening at all is crazy to us. So thank yeah. you. Well, not really.
0: It's not that crazy. We're I think funny, it's interesting. fucking insane. We work really hard. <laughs> The stuff turns out nice. Yeah, you know?
1: actually, you're right. Hey, Disney, <laughs> if you're listening, we're ready to handle fucking She-Hulk
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, too. We'll do She-Hulk too. Her little She siblings or She-Hulk whatever. She-Hulk
1: versus Ant-Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Versus entourage. <laughs> All right. All right.